Okay, so that's the message, Trust, and uh, it's a joy to be here this morning, and, and uh, lovely to reconnect with Phil and Michelle, and uh, when Phil was uh, working for Youth for Christ in Britain, we used to have him up to Manchester whenever possible to uh, reach young people in partnership, so it's great that we're, we're here today. Thanks for the invitation. Um, yes, we are honestly seeking the Lord about, is it time for Message to start to deliver programs in Canada? and probably Vancouver first, but other cities. There's interesting Calgary. There's even a few people here in Kelowna who are saying, could we add something to what's happening in downtown Kelowna? And so we really need to know, you know, because you've only got one life, and uh, we want to be most effective and uh, make the most of it. All kinds of opportunities all over the earth, but there's a, a sense that God's drawing us towards Canada. There's a lot of people would like to make this happen, so do pray. You can go on our website, message.org.uk or just put the message trust in Google and you'll find all kinds of resources and encouraging testimonies there about what God's doing in, in what was actually a pretty tough place, Manchester. In some ways, 28 years ago when we started the message, Manchester was the hardest place to do mission. You know, clearly there's places around the earth where you're going to get persecuted more for being a Christian and there's places experiencing greater poverty, but there weren't many places that were seeing a greater church decline and greater apathy. And there wasn't weren't many places in the world where there were hemorrhaging youth like Manchester was 28 years ago. And I'm not saying that's just down to the message that, that that's turned around and now we have multiple large churches, some churches with thousands of young people attending. And, and uh, I've got this beautiful headline from the Manchester Evening News where it says, Church rec- young recruits lift church gloom. And so a 7% growth in the number of young people attending church in Manchester and 3% across the board. And alongside that, um, a headline about crime reducing, because I don't want to just see churches grow. And so I don't just want to see, you know, uh, people turning up on a Sunday morning. I want communities to be transformed. Because when the gospel is truly proclaimed in word and deed, societies change for the good. That's what we want to see, isn't it? All for Jesus' glory. So that's the message, trust. Please pray for us. Please access any resources that you'll find helpful. It's all free. It's all there on the website. Um, I finished that little uh, video there by saying everyone's invited. And I guess the themes of my talk last night and today is exactly that. Everyone's invited. The gospel is for all people. It was launched um, with the angels saying we bring you good news of great joy for all people. And that's the Christian gospel, isn't it? It's good news, it's great joy, and it's for everyone. There's a, a, I get to travel around the world a bit, and, um, and uh, I get to spend time in all sorts of interesting places. And last year, within a month, we were on this fella. Have we got a picture of that yacht? Uh, one of our millionaire Christian friends invited us to spend uh, seven days with him on his yacht. And it was one of those invitations where you don't pray about it in case the Lord says no. <laughs> so... Uh, so we had this, you know, the height of luxury, ridiculous, extravagant, this, you know, this Christian brother said, come and spend some time. Two weeks later, we were here in this place, in Haiti, the slums of Haiti. And the bizarre thing is that the Christian gospel is just as relevant to the billionaire on his yacht as it is to the poorest of the poor in the slums of Haiti. Christianity is the only truly global religion. You know that, don't you? Islam has a center, it's the Middle East. Hinduism has a center, it's India. Buddhism has a center, it's the Far East. Christianity doesn't have a center. 
It's everywhere. It's relevant to every culture, every nation. And I'm excited to say to you today that the 29th of May is an exciting day in church history. In fact, it's almost certainly the most exciting day since Jesus rose from the dead. You know, because today, the 29th of May, more people are going to come to know Christ around the world than at any time since he rose from the dead. When you live in Kelowna, yes, come on, give him praise this morning. It's amazing. The fires of revival are being poured out on all the earth. And even in my lifetime, the world's been turned upside down as God does amazing things and unprecedented numbers of people are coming to Christ through every culture, every, every creed, every country. It's a beautiful thing. See, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And he wasn't joking. And uh, sometimes we can feel, oh, we're a bit on the back foot. No, we are not. Jesus wins. The gospel will advance. We're part of some unbelievable, unprecedented force that will result in heaven being populated. And we get to be involved in the action. And it's for everybody. So I want to read you quite a long passage from Acts chapter 16. And then I want to look at three conversion stories just to underline this. The gospel's for all people. Acts chapter 16. So the first 15 and a half chapters of Acts, Peter is the main character. And Jerusalem is where it's all happening. Suddenly, Paul in Acts chapter 16, becomes the main character, and the gospel is spreading all over the world. And it started here in Philippi. Okay, here we go. From, um, from verse 13, let's say. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down to begin to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept up this for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customers unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crown joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because he thought about the other, the other prisoners that escaped. But Paul shouted, 
Don't harm yourselves. We're all alive. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us three conversion stories from this brand new church in Philippi. You know, the Church of Jesus is a conversion movement. We're a salvation movement. We're that or nothing at all. We believe in a saviour called Jesus who can save anyone. And it needs to be our passion and our fire and our drive to see everybody in Kelowna well and truly converted and saved. You do know that, don't you? And if we don't feel like that and we're a Christian, can I honestly say to you, with all humility, because I'm going back to Manchester in a few days' time, wake up! Come on, church. I believe God would want to say to his church at this time, wake up with a salvation movement. This gospel's lost none of its power. If we will just take it out there with confidence and boldness, we'll see whole cities transformed. It's happening all over the world where the church of Jesus is waking up. Why not here in Kelowna? Come on, Lord. So Paul tells these three conversion stories. The first story is of a woman called Lydia. Lydia was a religious woman, a wealthy woman. She was a a businesswoman. If she lived in Kelowna, she'd have a smart place by the lake in the mission. You know, she'd be the CEO of her own company and she'd drive a Maserati. She's a Gentile. She's a non-Jew. But she's been studying the Hebrew Bible. And actually, in Acts, it says she was a worshipper of God. But she still needed more. She needed what every religious person needed. She just needed what the Bible describes as her heart opening to respond to the message. And Paul was a smart guy. So he knew the way to get through to Lydia, this clever businesswoman. She was a seller of purple linen, which in her day was fabulously expensive. She had a house big enough to, for the early church to meet there. You know, she was the kind of woman who was a dream to evangelists like me, you know, who can pour resources into furthering the mission. And yet she was religious. And so in her discussion with Paul, something happened, something that can happen this morning for you. Maybe you come along to this church and actually you've never truly opened your heart to Christ. You come to church because it's the religious thing to do. You're a little bit like Lydia. It's not enough to get you into heaven coming to this church, I promise. Only if your heart's open to the gospel, if you give your life to Christ, if you experience that conversion that Lydia did on this beautiful day as she discussed the scriptures with Paul. I mean, how much would you give to have been there? Top tickets to see the Rolling Stones at the O2 Arena were £700 to watch these geriatric geriatric blokes jigging around on stage. I mean, I'd pay more than that just to see how Paul engaged with Lydia as they discussed the scriptures. I'm sure he would have talked about Abraham, the one chosen to bless all people. I'm sure he would have talked about Moses, who brought the law and the sacrificial system to atone for the sins. Paul would explain that the key to understanding the whole book is found in a person. What's his name? What's his name? Ah, Jesus, he makes sense of it all. He would have journeyed with Lydia, this sharp businesswoman, through the scriptures. 
And then he would have led her to Jesus. It's my job. It's Phil's job. Anybody who has the privilege of teaching the word is always to point to Jesus. It's not about us or our smart stories or our clever strategies. This gospel has a name. It's Jesus. And he can save anyone. And as the Holy Spirit opened her heart, she came to truly believe in the one who came to bless the whole world. The one who kept the Ten Commandments. Was therefore able to be the ultimate sacrifice on the sins. Jesus. And it made sense for her. And Lydia went from religion to relationship. She went from having to do stuff to desperately have to please God to realizing it was all done because of what Jesus did for her on the cross. She realized Jesus was alive. Not just alive as some abstract figure, but he became alive in her. Everything changed for Lydia on that day. What a beautiful day it was. It was the best day of her life. She was got heaven for all eternity. Suddenly it wasn't all about possessions, all about stuff. She had a mission for her life and she opened up her home and started to build the church in partnership with these evangelists in Philippi. What a great day. The second conversion story in Acts chapter 16 is about as far from Lydia as you could possibly get. Economically, socially, morally, spiritually, you didn't get much lower than a demon-possessed slave girl. Imagine her in downtown, in the parks or under the arches. She's a drug-addicted, trafficked sex worker. She's broken and she's utterly lost. And the way she was reached was totally difficult, different from the way Lydia was reached. She wasn't going to be released released by some theological clever discussion this girl needed a power encounter didn't she and she followed the apostles screaming these men are the most servants of the most high god for days the bible says that paul was deeply disturbed we need to get deeply disturbed by the things that deeply disturb god don't we the facts as addiction and brokenness and pain and torment beyond belief. Even in this city, this wealthy city called Kelowna, there's so much pain. And we need to be deeply disturbed. Not just deeply disturbed so we cry a bit, but deeply disturbed so we do something about it. And sometimes the best thing we can do is to say in the name of Christ, I command you. To come out of her, and immediately the demon left her. What an incredible thing. We have one of our, in fact, he's just left the message, but he's part of our family. He's got a job as a foreman on a building site. Young man called Jason. I wish I'd brought his picture. But Jason was pretty much the most broken young man we've ever worked with, and we've worked with a lot. He did 11 of the previous 12 years in prison up to the age of 28. He was utterly tormented and uh, he went on hunger strike. He just wanted to die and didn't eat anything for 11 days when he was in prison and our prisons team were there trying to minister to Jason. And in his hospital bed in the hotel wing with nobody there, Jason cried out to God and God broke in in that hospital room. He, He had a massive revelation of the love of God. The spirit of God filled him And he called our team and he said, something's happened. I've met Jesus. Now tell me about him. 
And uh, this guy came out of prison. For two years, he was this rampant evangelist in prison, witnessing to anything that moved, healings, all sorts of amazing things happened. And he was the first employee three and a half years ago of our first business. We've, we've launched a bunch of businesses to give jobs to guys who are coming to girls who are coming to Christ in prison. You saw it on the video. And for three and a half years, he hadn't missed a day at work. And he's a, he's a grafter. And now, he, now we've released him to be foreman on this building site. And he's, his life's rebuilt from a place of utter destitution and pain and brokenness and addiction and criminality. And suddenly Jesus steps in, just like he did on the streets of Philippi for this slave girl. Don't you love it? Nothing like this gospel. It still is. It still is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. See, the Lord knows today if you need a power encounter. He knows if you need a clever theological discussion. Well, if you do, go and see Phil. But if you need a power encounter, you don't need to be clever and theological to lay your hands on someone and pray in Jesus' name, set this person free. And there is a team at the end of this service who can pray for you. God knows what you need. Don't miss out on the blessing of God breaking in and changing everything. Anyway, back to the story. As a result of the slave girl being set free, it really kicked off. And there's a lesson in that. You know, Paul and his team are just trying to serve Jesus and bless people, bless the rich, bless the poor. And as a result, hell's turned on them. And Paul and Silas are arrested and thrown into prison for causing a riot and introducing an alien religion. But not until, the Bible says, they were given a severe beating. I mean, Romans knew how to dish out a severe beating. Anybody seen The Passion of the Christ? You know, Paul had that three times, that beating. And here he is, another beating on his already smashed up flesh and broken bones. And, and they, they strapped him into stocks in the inner cell, this un, hard, uncaring jailer. And Paul's response was amazing. I love this scripture. So there they are, battered black and blue, in stocks, boxed in, not able to preach the gospel. And the Bible says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. You bet they were. I mean, where does that come from? Where does that kind of supernatural joy, it comes from heaven. It comes from Jesus. It can only come through the Holy Spirit. So even in the face of the most intense persecution and opposition, there's this joy bubbling up. The other prisoners were listening to him, and so was the jailer, who's our third conversion story. The jailer would have been a former civil servant. You know, he was all Roman soldiers, all people who worked in prisons were former Roman soldiers. He was a white-collar worker. My guess is he was hard as nails, bored stiff with his job. I wrote down where he lived and I've forgotten. <laughs> he lived in... Uh, where did he live? He lived in Glenmore. Mm. Mm. In a semi-detached house. He had a comfortable life. But he was absolutely bored and he had absolutely no interest in God. He was totally secular. How many men are there like that in our society? And yet what gets through to them is not, not the clever theological discussion. They're not up for that. Not the airy-fairy, power of the Holy Spirit stuff as far as he's concerned. What this kind of man needs to see is the 
extraordinary witness of true Christians. He wants to see Christians who face suffering with prayer and praise, who have incredible compassion for our enemies. You know, it's an irresistible thing because what happened in the prison was there was an earthquake. I went to Haiti a week after that terrible earthquake to try and help with the relief efforts. And as we were going through the slums of Haiti, there were 3,000 of Haiti's worst gangsters roaming the streets, causing carnage because the walls of the prison had come down. And 3,000 prisoners just run out. Imagine what that must have been like. That's what happened here in Philippi. Except in Philippi, because of Paul's words... The prisoners didn't run off. You see, the jailer was a man of honour. He knew he'd be dead anyway. If you let one prisoner go, you were dead. So he pulled up his sword and he was going to kill himself. But Paul said, don't harm yourself. I mean, this is nuts. This girl had just been kicking, this guy had just been kicking Paul's head in, beating him, put him in stocks. And Paul says, don't harm yourselves. We're all still here. And this is what happened as a result. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's reply nailed it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, argument and discussion wasn't going to do it with this guy. Emotional encounter wasn't going to do it for a rough, tough ex-military man. He had to see true Christianity lived out. And it's what most people need. It's what your friends and neighbours need. It's what the people in Kelowna need. They need to see us living this out, loving our enemies, serving the poor, even in the face of terrible things that life can throw at us. You know, because Christianity isn't a way out of life's trials and difficulties. It's a power to go through them. And you need to see as we face life difficulties, but somehow there's this supernatural joy about us. There's a confidence of eternity. There's something different about us that drawn to Jesus. You get it? The gospel's for all people. And the Lord wants all people everywhere to be saved, saved and saved. Yes, saved for the by and by, save for heaven, and there's only Jesus can save you for heaven, and he can do it today if you don't know him as your personal saviour. He can save you for heaven. It's the most wonderful miracle in the world. But he can also save you from living a small life now. Save you from living a life that's all about me and the acquisition of things and me and my little world. Open you to his big world, his big changing world. Save you for a purpose and a vision for your life. Deep down inside, it's what everybody's longing for. And I'll pray in a moment and just love to give you the opportunity. If you don't know Christ this morning as your personal saviour, I don't know whether there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ, but I'd be wrong to come all this way from Manchester and not give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ. Just finally, I listened to this brilliant preach from Tim Keller on this very passage. And he pointed out, that Paul, of course, was a, before he became a Christian, before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, in his former life, before he met Jesus, every day he would have prayed the most chipped up, awful prayer. He would pray this prayer every day. I thank God that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. How about this? At the birth of the church... 
as the church explodes out from Philippi to the ends of the earth, even to Kelowna. How about this for a transformation in Paul's hearts? Because who are the first people who come to Christ? A Gentile, a woman, and a slave. Don't you love this gospel? Don't you love our Jesus? The gospel is really for all people. Come on, give him praise this morning. <laughs> 